You are listening to a sermon by Tanner Sherlock. Visit com for more info. So, at the well on Thursday, this last Thursday night, I challenged the students to pray and ask God to show them a Bible verse. And then what I, from there, they get the Bible verse, and even if, God, if, even if they don't feel like God told them anything, they could just open their Bible up and find a verse. And so, I pr- asked them to find a Bible verse, read that verse, and analyze it, and analyze it within context, and come up with a solution of what it really meant. And as we began sharing, it just was really awesome how God intertwined all of the, the verses with each other. The one verse gave right in way to the next verse, gave right in way to the next verse, until we got to the very last verse. And then the very last verse was really tough to analyze at first. And so we ended up spending about an hour talking about one verse in the context of the, the part of Scripture it was in. And so it was just a kind of a cool little showing of sometimes God will give us a tiny, teeny little piece, and he interweaves it, and he makes it into this big, huge beautiful picture. And so that scripture that God gave me actually turned into what I'm going to speak about tonight. And that's, that is in Romans 6. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 6. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. This is pretty clear what it's saying as for us as Christians. It's it's saying that when we accept Christ, Christ's death almost becomes our death. It is as if we have died. As we are baptized, it is the physical representation of us dying and coming up again showing what Christ did for us as he died and rose again. What Christ did for us basically took place of our death. And so it is, when we accept Christ, it is as if we are dying. We are dying to our old self, and we're being made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You are a new creation. A lot of people like to use the analogy that you have a white t-shirt and you get it bloodied up and muddied, and then you throw it in the washer and you bleach it, and that's kind of what it's like. I really, I think it really takes it in a, a, another step. It, Christ took it a step further. It's as if you have that bloodied, nasty, dirty shirt, and it's so jacked up that what God does, is he takes your shirt, and he goes down. He doesn't go to Walmart. He goes somewhere else, somewhere high quality, buys a white T-shirt that's just bright. It's almost, it's almost blinding. It's so bright, and he gives it to you to wear. It is a brand new t-shirt. When you accept Christ, you are standing before God, a new creation. You're standing before God as if you never sinned. You're standing before God as Adam would have before the fall. You are without sin. There is no sin in you once you have accepted Christ's sacrifice. He has made you new. So skipping into Romans verse 16, 6, 14. There we go. I got it. Verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? 
But thanks be to God that, though you used to be a slave to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have now been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. How many of you guys remember a time before cell phones? I know I'm dating myself here, but some of you older folks in here remember a time before cell phones. When I was 18 in college, I actually got my very first cell phone, and it was one of those awesome cell phones that had no capabilities whatsoever. There was no camera, no data, no, no Facebook. no. That. And actually, Facebook was invented my freshman year of college. So you're welcome. So I had that clanker of a phone. You know what phones I'm talking about. They're like indestructible. You could toss them in a fire. They'd put the fire out and then laugh at you. Those kind of phones. The golden age of phones. Now I'm talking even before that. Before we were slaves to convenience. To slaves to being available. Back in the day, if I tried to call home and I didn't get an answer, I left a voicemail on this machine. I know it might blow your guys' mind, but we had this machine that was specifically set up for voicemails. And I would leave a voicemail, and then I would hang up my phone, and I would move on with my life until somebody called me back. Nowadays, you call somebody, they don't answer, you leave a voicemail, you then text them, they don't reply, you then get on Facebook and you send them a message, and then now Facebook has a little thing that can tell you when they see your message, so if they see your message and don't reply, you then call them again, text message them again, and then message them on Facebook calling them out for seeing your message and not replying. We have definitely become slaves to availability in today's time. Best case scenario now, if I call somebody and they don't answer, I fear for the next two hours that they're dead because everybody has their cell phone on them all the time, except for Blake. Is Blake here? Blake is a man's man. He left his cell phone at Donald's, and I called like five, tried to message like 500 people to get a hold of him. Finally figured out where his room was. I go up to his room, and I'm like, hey, dude, you left your cell phone at Donald's. He's like, eh, I wasn't too worried about it. <laughs> that dude is a man's man. He is not a slave to his phone. Give that guy some props. Continuing verse 19. I'm using an example from everyday life because your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't know if you guys are reading the same thing as I'm reading. What I'm reading is, we can choose to be slaves to righteousness, or we can choose not to. We can choose to be slaves to wickedness. And that we don't have to be slaves to our sins. And that's what it really comes down to. If you are stuck in a habitual sin, you are a slave to that sin. And I know frustration isn't necessarily a sin. However, 
I am a slave to frustration way more, way more often than I would like to admit to. The other day I was at church and I don't even remember what I was frustrated at specifically. I was just starting to get frustrated sitting there. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just getting frustrated. Worship's going on and I'm just sitting there frustrated. And I actually had the thought because after I read this scripture, man, do I really want to be a slave to frustration right now? Is this really the best course of action for me? I'm sitting here at church. Worship is going on. Do I want to be a slave to this? No. I don't want to be a slave to frustration. I want to be a slave to Christ. I want to be a slave to righteousness. I want to be a slave right now to worship. And so you know what happened? I wasn't frustrated. I was able to get into worship. I was able to move on from whatever had happened. Moved on with my day. Got into the presence of God. And could actually focus on worship again. So, how many of you guys uh, talk to yourselves like I do? Like, a few of you. Everybody else is just looking at you now like you're crazy. Dude has voices in his head. See, when I have voices in my head, every once in a while, the voices in my head actually make a little bit of sense. And I'm like, oh man, that is so awesome. High five. (laughs) Clapping. Self high five. And I know I'm simplifying everybody's problems into one area. I'm saying frustration, depression, habitual sin, overall wickedness, anything that is preventing you from serving Christ. I know I'm lumping it all into one area right now. But I am saying that you don't have to struggle with that area of your life anymore. You can choose to not struggle with it. You can simply say to yourself, I'm not going to be a slave to this today. You can completely change the course of your entire day by stopping and saying to yourself, I will be a slave to righteousness today instead. I know you guys know now that I suffered from severe depression early in my life. And one of the best tools that I have and had for overcoming depression was right at the very beginning, I would say to myself, Tanner, you're getting a little woe is me. You're starting to feel sorry for yourself. You need to stop. You need to get out of that mindset before it sets in early on and move on. Because once it sets in, it becomes harder and harder to get out of. And so if right off the bat, if I could stop myself and say to myself, stop, and I would then choose to be a slave of joy, my depression is completely non-existent for that day. It's like that Snickers commercial. The, you get a little hungry when you're, yeah, you're not you when you're hungry. There you go. It's like that. It's like you stop yourself and you go, oh, you're getting a little woe is me. You need to stop yourself. Interject. Give yourself a Snickers bar. That sometimes helps with depression. No. You're a slave to whatever you choose. I would like to be a slave to the good things in life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., etc. I want to choose to be a slave to those things. I don't want to be a slave to my frustration anymore. And so in Matthew 25, I'm going to paraphrase just for the sake of time, but I encourage you to go back and read Matthew 25. Put a bookmark in your Bible. Put your little ribbon in place. And go back to it and read it on your own. But for the sake of time, like I said, I'm going to give you the Tanner Sherlock approved interpretation. 
So a master is going to go on a long journey. And so before he leaves, he takes three of his servants, and he gives them five tenants, or I'll just use the word bag of gold. Gives the first one five bags of gold, the next one two bags of gold, and the next one one bag of gold. And he basically tells them, I'm entrusting this in you. And I guess there's not real specific instructions in what to do with it, but I would assume the tenants knew what he was asking of them, or the servants. And so he goes on his journey. And so the guy who got five goes out immediately and begins working hard to replicate it. And eventually he comes back and he's got ten. The second guy with the two goes out and he comes back with four. The guy with one was so afraid of losing the bag. He was so afraid, he took the bag of gold and he buried it and waited for his master to come back. The master comes back, he sees the guy with ten bags, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. To the guy with four, he says the same thing, well done. Then to the one who has one, he says, you lazy and wicked servant. At the very least, you could have put it in a bank and earned interest. Then he takes that bag of gold from the one, and he gives it to the man with ten bags, and he basically says, who gives will receive in abundance, but who does not will have even less. This is an important point to make because sometimes we are so caught up with God wanting to give us more. He wa- we want him to, to give us more responsibility. We want to preach to the multitudes. We want, we want more money. We want more success. But we haven't even been faithful with the things that God has given us in the first place. And so he begins to take those things away from us and give them to somebody else. You've either completely abandoned your talents or you haven't used them for kingdom purposes. You've chosen to be a slave of fear, laziness, slave to the way people might perceive you. Maybe you're a slave to that cute guy or that cute girl who you don't want them to think that you're a Jesus freak. Be a slave to righteousness and use your talents for the kingdom of Christ. Let's be real here. At some point within your walks, you're going to or you have already come to the conclusion that everything we have truly belongs to God in the first place. Everything he has given us belongs to God. And if I take my life, I take my abilities and I bury it out of fear, I am not doing anything to multiply for the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about cloning yourself or making babies. I'm saying, take your life and multiply it for the kingdom. If you take your life and you're simply existing, say you're here in college to get a degree so that you can earn a paycheck, so that you can have a nice, easy life, so you can live without stress, so you can become rich, or whatever it may be. And you never once take the time to use your talents, to use your ability, to use yourself for kingdom purposes. You are simply taking your entire life and burying it. Maybe you don't want to be a pastor or a missionary or or worship leader or even want to be on the worship team. That's fine. I'm not saying that you have to do any of that stuff. But at the very least, take your bag of gold and find a way to serve God with it. Find a way to share about Jesus. Find a way to bless a neighbor. Find a way to love God. And find a way to love those around you. Last week I talked about 
loving God first and foremost. The natural progression of loving God is eventually serving God. And I made the very valid, the very distinct point that first and foremost, I know I butchered that word, first and foremost, we're to love God with all your body, mind, soul, heart, heart, soul, mind. And then second, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. But I want to make the point tonight that we are to serve God. One of the natural progressions that comes out of loving God is serving God. If you love somebody and they're sick and they're in bed and they're asking for your help, you're going to go out, you're going to buy them soup, you're going to buy them 7-Up, you're going to bug them every five minutes making sure that they're drinking enough water and they're eating crackers and they're trying to keep something down. You're going to serve them. If you truly love God, you will keep his commands. If you truly love God, you will serve him. Romans is saying you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and grow to hate the other. You cannot serve two different masters. Make sure that you are serving the right master with your life and with your abilities. Make sure you are using your gifts and your life to serve God. How many of you guys got caught up in the whole the world is ending because there's a blood moon that happens once every 18 years kind of phenomenon? That was great. It blew up Facebook. I don't know if you guys get on Facebook. But it blew it up. It was all over the place. I just absolutely loved it because if I feel like I truly 100% believe that the end of the world is coming and I write a book about it, I'm probably not going to charge for it. I'm probably going to give it away for free and try to give it away to as many people as possible. And I'm not trying to say that there aren't signs and wonders. I'm not saying that there won't be signs of the end times. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we're to live our lives today having survived the end of the world five different times. We're to live the same today as if we knew for certain that the end of the world would come at midnight. We're to live the same way. We all know that if you knew for 100% certain that the end of the world was coming at midnight, you probably wouldn't go out and get drunk. You probably wouldn't go out and sleep around, hopefully. Knowing that judgment was going to come at midnight, I wouldn't imagine that you would make those decisions. We are to live today as if tomorrow were the end. We do know how to serve God. And we do know that serving God is a direct causation out of our love for God. So today I want you to do something for me. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. In that 30 seconds, I want you to, the first thing that comes in your mind that you are a slave to, whether it's frustration, whether it's a certain habitual sin, whether it's depression, whether it's being shy, whether it's being lazy, whatever you are a slave to, the first thing that comes to your mind, I want you to think about that for 30 seconds. That certain thing that you were a slave to. Go. Okay, now having thought about that thing, that thing that you 
fall into too often that you were a slave to. Is it really worth it to be a slave to that over being a slave to Christ, being a slave to righteousness, being a slave to loving God, being a slave to loving your neighbor? Is it really worth serving that over the things I just mentioned? I am telling you today, you can choose whether you're not whether or not you keep serving that master. You have the power of choice. God gave us free will. We can choose it. The actor who played uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, when he was filming it, he had to strap himself down into the hunchbacked over position in order to film for the movie. At first he noticed when he would strap himself in and he'd get done for the night, he'd stand up, straighten out, and he'd be good to go. But after filming for a while, eventually it got harder and harder to stand up at night. It got to the point where it would take him a lot more time to get to the point where he could stand up straight again. As time continued, it became harder for his body to go back to normal. We can choose to remain being hunched over. And the certain thing that you're struggling with, it might take you a little longer to get to a point where you can stand up straight. But every day, every chance that you get to take those straps off of what you are serving, you need to do it because eventually you can get to the point where you can stand up straight right off the bat. And you can merely just think about it and say, no, I'm not going to be a slave to depression today. And boom, you're over it. And I'm not saying that it's going to immediately take hold and and that immediately you're never going to struggle from depression again. What I am saying is you need to take that thought captive. Scripture tells us to take every thought captive. You need to get into the habit of taking the straps off of whatever is trying to bind you down because the chains that are holding you, you also possess the key. The jail cell that you are in, the door is wide open. You are choosing whether or not you want to stay where you are stuck at. Habits aren't necessarily formed overnight. And I want to encourage you in this. Habits take a long time to get to the point where they're a habit. I don't know if you guys, how many guys knew who Steph Curry is? Basketball player. He's now a an NBA championship and an MVP basketball player plays for the Golden State Warriors. He's best known for being able to drill a three from anywhere on the court. Basically, he there was one point in time where I I don't even remember the numbers, but he shot like 93 pointers in a row and made all of them out of like 100 or something like that. He's just ridiculous at shooting threes. I guarantee you Steph Curry didn't wake up out of the womb, walk onto a basketball court, and drain a three. He took his talent that he was given and he got better at it and he practiced it and he did it longer and longer and eventually he began making threes more frequently. Eventually he got a chance to play in college and he would practice and practice and practice. He doesn't just wake up, go onto the court and play basketball. He goes early, practice shooting threes. He stays late, practicing shooting threes. And eventually... It turned him into an NBA champion and an MVP. And so what I'm saying, as you leave here tonight, I'm saying take your talents, 
Take whatever God has given you. If you can draw, use it. If you can play music, use it. If you're good at talking to people, use it. If you're good at just loving people, use it. Use your talents and perfect your talents and multiply your talents. Multiply what God has given you in this life. And eventually, God is going to trust you with even more stuff. And he's going to give you more opportunities. He's going to give you more as you trust him and are obedient to him. Tonight's sermon is going to be pretty short. But I don't want, just because it's short, I don't want it to mean any less. So tonight as you guys leave here, I want you to be serious, and I want to encourage you guys, and I want to challenge you guys, that this week, whatever you are struggling with, whatever you are a slave to, whether it's frustration like me, or whether it's a habitual sin, or whether it's being shy, like I said, or, or just being angry at people. Whatever you are a slave to that is preventing you from serving God, I want you to take the attitude that you have the choice. God gave us free will. You are not forced to be depressed. You are not forced to be shy. You are not forced. If you guys believe it or not, I am a really shy person. I am a really, really shy person. Yet, I stand in front of you and I give sermons because I know that is what God has called me to do. And from that, my shyness has gone away significantly. I've gotten to the point where I can actually have a conversation with somebody that I don't know and not feel like I'm going to pass out. I want you guys to leave here taking every thought captive, every struggle in your life, everything that you feel like is a hindrance to you serving God, and I want you to stop. Take a break. Allow yourself to think about it and choose not to serve that master. And I bet that opportunities to serve God will multiply this week for you. So let us pray. Lord, I pray that you can remind us to choose righteousness daily. I pray that your voice can be the voice of reason in our heads. God, I pray that when we are starting to serve the wrong master, that you will remind us that sometimes it really is as simple as choosing to serve a different master. Lord, I ask you that you will help us to step out and to use our talents and our abilities and our existence to serve you better, Lord. I pray that we can be better stewards this week of what you have given us than we have ever been before. Lord, I pray for the retreat this weekend, that lives can be changed, that you would be there, your presence would be there, and that as we go to Casper, that you would just reach into our lives and you would change us radically. And I pray for those students who are not going on the retreat, that even though they are not going, that they could have the same experience here in Shattering or at home or wherever they're going, at track, at whatever their reason is for why they can't go on the retreat. Lord, I I still pray that you would reach into their lives too. Lord, I thank you and it is for your glory and in your name we pray. Amen.